0: At verses 11 through 16 this morning for context, I'll pick up in verse 7. God's Word, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who has ascended far above all things, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Lord, would you use your word even this morning to build us up that we might become more like your son, that we might be a clear picture of him to those around us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Oh, grow up. We've all heard that phrase or used that phrase or had that said to us. The frustration is someone who's acting well below their maturity level and you just want them to grow up stop acting so immature we want to see growth in life you know there are numerous aspects of life in which we want to see growth it might be someone's emotional side of their life where the ups and downs don't send them back and forth but they have a calm throughout it it might be their physical side that you want to see growth that you're taller bigger stronger faster it might be growth in your career or your financial situation or your relationships Wherever it might be, we want to see growth in our life. If we stop and examine how do I grow, we have people tell us. There are whole magazines, websites, different things to tell you. Six tips to grow your portfolio. Five main ideas so that you can grow your relationship. Well, how does one grow spiritually? What are the essential elements of spiritual growth that every believer should know? There are numerous things that can be said, but this morning God's Word shows us in Ephesians 4, 11-16, that we grow spiritually when every believer learns and speaks the truth in love. So, that was a little wordy, let me say it again. The emphasis this morning from our passage is we grow spiritually when every believer learns and speaks the truth in love. If you grabbed one of the bulletins when you came in, you'll see on the very back the outline. We'll see in verses 11 and 12, who is to instruct? Well, leaders train for the saints to do ministry? Well, why do we have this growth? So that we can build mature, unflappable believers. And how do we do this? Well, we speak the truth in love. But first, who? Who is part of the spiritual growth? Well, there's leaders who train the saints the ministry. Now let me just remind us where we are. If you've not been with us, we're in Ephesians 4. The first three chapters of this letter, Paul rejoiced about all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And it was after that, only after that, he began to tell us, well, how do we live in a way that honors God? And we saw in verses 1 through 6, that means we live humbly and gently and patiently with one another. He then turned to talk about how we should be seeking peace and unity with one another. And then last week, we saw that though we seek unity, that doesn't mean there's a uniformity, that we're all the same. Rather, God gifts every believer differently. And He does that so that we would be a picture of Him to this world. Well, the first gifts He mentions are in verse 11. The first gifts God mentions here are the roles in the church now that's not cinnamon rolls that's a gift if you ever bring cinnamon rolls to the church but here this is rolls r-o-l-e-s now before we look we should know if you read the new testament look at gifts spiritual gifts every list is a little different in fact there's over 20 different things so every gift is not necessarily a role in the church you might have the gift of mercy or the gift of gentleness or something else so god gifts us all in different ways but here the first one is God gifts us with apostles. Now, if you look up what the word apostle means, very generically, it just means someone who's sent. So in that sense, every Christian is an apostle. We're all sent by God into this world. Yet in Luke 6:13, Jesus called his 12 disciples and he called them apostles. He gave this unique role of apostles Men who were with the Lord saw his resurrection and then later were added to their number, Matthias and Paul. Now, these men had a unique role, authority, and a call to be a part of building the church. Flip back two chapters to Ephesians chapter 2, 19 and 20. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, it says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the apostles, along with the prophets, had a foundational role in the church. And that leads back to Ephesians 4, verse 11. The second gift to the church, and that is prophets. Now, biblical prophecy is when someone is given a clear revelation from God. The faithful prophet then conveyed that to others with words such as, Thus says the Lord. And since the prophet spoke for God, to disobey the prophet was to disobey God. And so here, notice what is being said though. Ephesians 2.20 said, God's household was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now if a house is built, built correctly or a building, you lay the foundation once. And then it's not laid again. That's why we believe that the role of apostles and prophets have ceased, though their vital contribution endures. Their role didn't need to continue because they gave us God's Word. We have the complete Bible, so we don't need apostles and prophets today. That's when our Mormon friends will challenge us and say, well, your church doesn't have apostles and prophets like we do. We can gently reply, well, yes, that's correct, because the foundation has already been laid. God's church is being built up on them. We no longer need them today. Third, God gave to the church evangelist. Now, depending on your church upbringing, or maybe you didn't grow up as a Christian, you may hear the word evangelist and think of a traveling speaker who goes from meeting to meeting, leading people to Christ. And that might be what it means, but it's interesting. It's only used two times in the New Testament, besides this one. And one of them is to... Timothy, who was a pastor of a local church, and he's told to do the work of an evangelist. The only other time it's mentioned is Philip, Acts twenty one eight, And it's interesting, unlike apostles, unlike prophets, unlike we'll see shepherds next, there's no qualifications in the New Testament for the role of evangelist. And though we're not completely sure what all was intended, we do know that we all have a part in evangelism to share the good news. You know, ultimately, our call is to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. So every Christian should love those around them, and this may give us opportunities to share Christ. You know, at other times, you may be in a stage of life or season where you don't get to share Christ with others, and there's no reason to feel guilty if that's not a season God has put you in. But we should all pray for and want opportunities to tell others of the joy of knowing Christ. We should long and pray for people to be converted, to come to know salvation. Well, fourth here in verse 11, God gave the church shepherds who are teachers. Now, shepherds may strike you a little odd. Why, in the midst of leaders of the church, does he mention men who care for the little woolly things on the ground? What in the world does shepherds have to do with all these other gifts? in the church. Well, the reason why is cuz if you read through the Bible the metaphor shepherd is used of God's care for us, the famous 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And the way God cares for his sheep though is not some generic way. It's that he gives men to lead churches. That's why after the apostle Peter denied Christ and then Christ was with him on the sea of Galilee, Jesus said to him, John 21, tend my sheep. Peter then took this to heart and he'll later write a letter. In 1 Peter 5 it says, so I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So elders, shepherd, elders are shepherds. Those are just synonyms. And he continues, and when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of of glory so shepherds here is just a synonym for elders or if you look throughout the new testament it's also a synonym for pastors or episcopos for elders for bishops overseers they're all just referring to the same office looking at different aspects of it and it's interesting i'm not going to try and get too grammatical here but each one of these so far has had a definite article the word the so it's the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds And then there's no the before teachers. And that's, I believe, because he's saying, well, what do shepherds do? It's shepherds who teach. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd teaches the flock. You know, all pastors should be teachers. But that doesn't mean every teacher in the church should have the role or title of pastor. And Jesus and the rest of the New Testament show the importance of teaching. You know, it's interesting. If you read Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it says, when Jesus went ashore... He saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus looks at these people who are being taken advantage of, who are being abused. So what does he do? He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. So what's it say next? It says, and he began to teach them many things. Jesus knows that the way to care for people is to teach them. And so what does Jesus commission us to do? Go into all the world, making disciples baptizing them and teaching them that is our role to teach Keith read for us earlier Colossians 1 where Paul said his ministry is to make everyone complete in Christ by teaching and admonishing if you look later in that same letter Colossians three sixteen, he says let the word of Christ dwell in you so all Christians richly teaching and admonishing one another we help one another as we teach one another And we could go on and on, showing the vital importance of teaching. In fact, all four of these gifts to the church, given in verse 11, deal with explaining, proclaiming, or sharing God's word. Teaching God's word must be central to the life of every believer in every church. Now, in saying this, we need to quickly pause, because some of you might be thinking, but I don't like to stand in front of people, I don't really like the classroom setting, it just makes me nervous. Well, that's a 21st century way of teaching. Jesus never had a classroom. He taught as he walked along a road. You can teach someone as you're sitting there handing them a tool. You can teach over coffee. It's not so much the formal academic sense that you must have lesson notes and a teacher's plan and all that. It's guiding other people in understanding God's word. Well, notice what all these gifts are for. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. God gives these church leaders so that the saints may be trained for the work of service. You know, God desires for every saint to be involved in serving. Now we're going to quickly misapply this if we think saints are some kind of super Christian. Oh yeah, well, you know, I'm just kind of a regular guy. I'm no saint, we might say. But the New Testament calls every believer a saint. Every believer is set apart by God To serve him and serve others. So while it's clear here that the work of service is to be every saint, somehow in the United States we've got this idea that the pastor, me, or the church leader, Keith, we need to do all the work of ministry. You know, I've often had, not so much here, but other contexts, people come up to me and say, Hey, pastor, what we really need in this church is to do and then fill in the blank whatever they're passionate for. Maybe it's more evangelism, or more teaching, or a new outreach, or something. And the implication is, hey pastor, we're paying you, we want you to go start doing this. But the answer really should be, hey great, if you're passionate for that, how can I help you lead our church in doing that? God wants every single one of us to be involved in the work of ministry. My role... Keith's role is to train and teach so that you are equipped to do the ministry. Thus, God's plan for the church and spiritual growth is every person contributing. You know, While our faith is personal, God had never intended it for it to be private. Rather, God intends for us to be taught so that we can be a blessing to others. You know, our church's growth depends on the quality of each person's engagement in serving the body. In other words, the biblical idea is not 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. It's not 80% of the people doing 80% of the work. It's 100% of the people. Every person doing their part. So 100% of the work is done. Each one of us obviously has different parts in what that should look like. But God wants every person to be involved. And yet sadly... Many Christians have taken the mentality of going to a restaurant to how they view church. Well, do they have the food I like? Is it an environment that I desire? The service I demand? Will they wait on me? Will they give me everything in a professional manner and not ask too much in return? In other words, we've begun to view church as consumers. Here, though, we're being shown that we should all view church as co-providers. Yes, You consume the teaching, but that should then lead you to how can I help and serve others? Rather than what can I get when I go to church today, what can I provide? Who can I serve? Where can I help? So how are you contributing to the work of the church? In what areas are you serving and helping others? Your church is not a restaurant where a waiter comes and gets everything you want. Church is more like a family potluck where everyone brings their own contribution and everyone looks out for how can we help the others. A culture in which everyone is seeking to do good for others. And God wants us to function this way because if we do, He tells us the second point in the end of verse 12-14. through 14, Why? Because we'll build mature, unflappable believers of verse 12 it says for building up of the body of christ verse 13 until we attain all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes paul wants the church to function this way so that the church Christ's body is built up. The image of the church being Jesus' body helps us understand our goal. We are the hands and feet, so to speak, of Jesus to the world. The world can't see Jesus just as we can't right now, but as the church grows in maturity, we are able to be clear representations of Christ to them. This must continue until we all arrive to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. And here, we kind of see two sides. We see the objective and the subjective nature of growth. The objective nature is in the unity of the faith. You know, we become more and more unified around the true doctrines of God. You know, it's popular in some circles to say, well, we believe in the person Jesus Christ. We don't believe in propositions propositions those are cold and lifeless we live we believe in the living christ but as soon as you say anything about jesus like he was fully god he was fully man that's a proposition so it's a false dichotomy we believe in the living jesus and we understand him by saying things about him you know when peter declared you are the christ jesus didn't say well that's a cold and lifeless statement peter just think of me as a guy no he says You are correct. There are things we should affirm objectively as true about God, about Christ. Yet it's not just objective intellectual knowledge that we need to mature in, but it's also here talking about the knowledge of the Son of God. And this is that personal, intimate knowledge. It's what Paul declares in Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. There should be in your life a personal subjective knowledge that stems from the propositional objective truth you know we should be growing with our head and our heart and our love for God so that we can move to maturity to being more like Christ and the end result he tells us in verse 14 is that we'll no longer be like immature gullible children you know I know a person who when they were young were about to go to summer camp And the day going to camp, they got a call from the camp director. And the director told them, I'm sorry, camp is being canceled for this week. The birds are picking out all the girls' hair. Well, this was not a true story. It was a father playing a prank on their daughter. And yet the child believed it and began to cry. You know, as an adult, you know that you have to warn your children. Not everything you see on TV. Not everything you see online, not everything you hear from a person is true. There are people in this world who want to manipulate you, con you, swindle you. And if something sounds too good to be true, it's most likely too good to be true. And the sad reality is this happens in the spiritual realm. There are people who will manipulate you, who will take advantage of you and spiritually use their influence to harm you. And Paul refers to these immature people who are manipulated spiritually as people like a boat without an anchor. They're just tossed. Whichever wave comes, they're thrown side to side. And if you look at the most popular movements and ideas in Christian circles over the last 30 years, you see time and again, people get carried by the new wind of teaching. They think, if I just pray this certain prayer, this prayer, then oh, I'll get blessing in my life. Oh, this prophet, he's speaking for God. i got to listen to him. Oh, that man on TV, he tells me if I just send him money, then my life will be blessed. And time and again, it's spiritual manipulation. And if we would have a mature faith, we wouldn't get caught up. We wouldn't be blown around in our life. So what's the solution? Well, he's been giving it to us. The solution is, well, look, God gave you apostolic and prophetic teaching in his word he's blessed the church with teachers with shepherds that will teach you so that you then can go and serve one another and we'll see anyone in just a minute that we serve one another by speaking the truth in love and yet sadly though often christians don't mature like this that's why there's passages like this hebrews 5 12 through 14 says For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of unrighteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So spiritual maturity comes from solid spiritual food. And this leads to discernment, so that when we hear this false teaching, we hear some guy saying some crazy thing on TV, we go, that's a crazy thing. We don't go, oh, I guess I need to be doing that. I guess I need to send this man money if I want my life to be blessed. But rather, we are mature and stable. And this passage, and others like it, really shaped the nature of why we do the things the way we do here at our church. Now, if you look at churches throughout time, what our church does is pretty normal. But if you went to 10 other churches this morning, what we do actually looks a little bit different. You know, Our songs are filled with deep truths. The sermons come from passages of scripture, not just whatever inspiration I had this last week. A lot of what we do are studies, men's studies, women's studies, hopefully this summer, a study on parenting. And the church growth experts would say, We got it all wrong. This is just too boring. You know, if we crank the music up a little bit, get some nice lights in here, tone down the sermon some, save some of these topics for, you know, more discipleship. If I could have some more laughs and jokes up here, more positive, we could create a better vibe Then we could, we could pack this place out. And the truth is it works. Many a church has been built by following these principles. You can fill a building with people. And yet, what is our mandate? It's not to create an environment that's uncomfortable for unbelievers, or comfortable for unbelievers. It's rather to create a community that's conducive for growth in the maturity for Christ. You know, that's what Paul said earlier. This I labor and strive that I may present everyone complete or mature in Christ. You know, when we gather here, this is for believers to be built up. And we love, we would love for unbelievers to come and join us as they see how we're built up and grow in the truth. Then we go out to reach the lost. We go out as the hands of feet in Christ. So if we're not going to be immature, but mature, What do we need? How will it be done? And that leads to our last thing that Paul says, verses 15 and 16. We'll do this by speaking the truth in love. Verse 15 says, Rather speaking the truth in love, so rather than these deceitful schemes blowing us around, we'll be mature by speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. In love. So the way to overcome the lies and deceptions is to speak the truth in love. There's an important assumption in there, and that is that you know what, we're all counselors. Now you may hear the word counselor and think of someone who sits in an office or some kind of room and someone comes in and spills their life to them and they give them some advice. And yet, when you have your co-worker say, you know, I really had a hard weekend. This happened with my spouse. And then you say something, you're giving them counsel. When they come in and you. they tell you, oh, I'm so excited. I can't believe I got this extra money. What should I do with it? And you respond, you're giving them counsel. When you talk to your kids, you're giving them counsel. When you talk to your spouse, whenever we talk to someone, we're giving them counsel. So, whether we... Think about it, whether we get it from God's word, we are giving people counsel. And like salt and pepper, or peanut butter and jelly, as those go together, so truth and love are essential partners in counseling and talking to us. Now, we have to realize, some of us love truth. Our ears perk up, our adrenaline rushes when we hear the slightest hint of a debate. We rush in to conquer the error and stand for what's right. And yet there's little love or gentleness in our passion for the truth. We're quicker to correct, and we're slow to listen. But James 1.19 tells us everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become anger, to become angry. You know we can be hearing everything someone says, but not really be listening. We don't heed Proverbs 18:13. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. You know, I'm a recovering, at least I hope, recovering debate winaholic. In my late high school to early college, we hope that's when it ended, days I loved to argue. Once in college, I was in a group with about ten other people, and an issue came up in which I had a strong opinion. You could probably have picked about anything in college, and I had a strong opinion. And me and another person in the group started to go back and forth. And I shared, obviously, the winning argument from a verse. But he started to respond. So I start flipping to the next verse to prove how wrong he was. And thankfully, by God's grace, I had a friend with me. And he reached over. And he put his hand on mine and quietly said, Jeremy, stop turning and listen to what he has to say. You know, I arrogantly thought I had all the truth. I didn't need to listen to what he had to say. And I wasn't trying to love the other person by showing them how they were wrong. gently. I was trying to defeat the other person. I was trying to win the argument. In other words, I had the truth, but I had no love. And we need truth and love. You know, some of us are on the other side of the spectrum. We hate debates, and we value relationships over truth. We can hear our friends spouting things that are horribly wrong, but ah, I don't want to stir any trouble up. We have a superficial peace and love rather than genuine peace and love. But Proverbs 27, 5-6 through six says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A while back I was at the soccer building, I've shared this before, where we play and in the building there was a referee who walked in and he was in there for a few minutes and then finally an older man said, you know your socks are inside out? And the referee looked down and he goes, they are? I've been wearing them like this for weeks. And the other man said, well, i only tell you because I love you. Everyone else is probably just making fun of you. You know, and that's the reality that if we truly love people, we'll speak the truth in their life. We need truth and love. And notice that verse 15 says, it's as we speak the truth and love that we mature into being like Christ. And we'll become more like Christ because Christ was full of grace and truth. All that Jesus did was truthful and right, and all that He did was gracious. And if we're going to mature and become more like Him, then we must speak truth and love. Then in verse 16, Paul reiterates the importance of really what he said in verse 12. In verse 12, he called every saint, every believer to be involved in ministry. Now he says in verse 16 that this ministry involves speaking the truth in love, and the whole church will grow as every part of the body is involved. He says, it is when each part is working properly that the body grows. So thus, to grow as God intends, we must recognize two things. First, it is that we are not often getting the truth. You know, we don't trust anymore everything the media tells us. We don't trust everything that our political leaders tell us. We don't trust everything even our doctors tell us sometimes. We know that people will flatter us. They'll tell us what they think we want to hear to get us to agree with them. And if that were not bad enough, we lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves. Thus Jeremiah seventeen nine warns, The heart is deceitful above all things. And this leads to the second truth we need people in our life who know us and love us enough to tell us the truth you don't want a doctor who knows you have a serious disease but says i didn't want to tell them they might have gotten a little upset they might have cried and that would have been awkward you don't want a mechanic who overlooks a needed brake repair because you know they just might get upset if i tell them How much more should we want friends and fellow church members to be more concerned about telling us the truth than our immediate response? Knowing how hard it is to get the truth and our own willingness to deceive ourselves, we should want people, we should invite people to speak into our life. We should tell our friends, please tell me if I'm doing something wrong. We need the mirror of God's word and God's people. And this requires on us a humility. That when they come to us, and you know, they came to us at the wrong time. And they didn't actually explain it perfectly. And you know what, they maybe do the same things. That we listen and humbly accept their rebuke. Proverbs 9, 8 says, Do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. You know, if you have someone who in love comes and reproves you, you should be thanking them not battling against them. And for these people to tell us the truth, for us to tell others the truth, we have to be more involved in their life than just sitting in the same room for a service once or twice a week. We need our lives to intersect not just here, but throughout the week. And I use the word need intentionally. Relational involvement with others in the church is a necessity for spiritual growth as God requires. Something necessary means you can't have the final product without it. You know, an engine is necessary for a car to function. An air conditioner is a nice perk. And yet, sadly, many people think of the church as the air conditioner of their spiritual life. You know, that'd be nice to have. You know, the church makes me feel a little better at times. And yet God is showing us here, the church is as necessary to your spiritual growth as an engine is to a car working. And Paul makes clear here that God's plan for our growth has to be through the church. And this is because, look, spiritual growth is not just gaining more ideas. You, know, you can go online, you can buy books, you can gain more ideas. Or it's not just having a greater desire for God. Rather, spiritual growth is, as it says in verse 15, when we grow up into Christ, or verse 16, when we're built in love. You know, it is so easy in here, we can all say, yeah, I believe God's sovereign, I believe God's good, and then you have to go home and live with the people that you live with. Are you still saying God's good and sovereign and them being in your life? It's easy to say, oh, you know, God is so patient, I just, I'm going to be patient, but then you got to deal with the people here. You've got to deal with that person who, you know, every week they just talk about that same topic. So tired of them always bringing it back to the same thing. Or, you know, in Sunday school, they always just sit there and they twiddle. Oh man, it drives me nuts! You know, if we're going to grow in being more like Christ, it's not going to happen being hermits spiritually. It's going to happen as we have the shoulders bumping against each other and we have to grow in that humility, that patience. That gentleness, the fruits of the Spirit of Christ in our life. And that's going to happen because you know what? When we do that, we're going to fall short. And then someone's going to speak the truth in love. And then as we humbly confess and as we become more patient and gentle, we will become more mature as God wants us to be. As Paul teaches us this morning, that we grow spiritually when every believer learns and speaks the truth in love. If you follow trends, you'll know that before COVID in the U.S., there was sadly a decline in the number of Christians seeing the importance of gathering with other Christians. They believe that, yeah, like I said earlier, yeah, the church is a wonderful thing. It's like an air conditioner. It can help my life, but it's not essential. And sadly, after COVID, those numbers have gotten much worse. And we have to be honest. Sadly, times that's because the churches have been detrimental to spiritual growth. There have been. Horrible things said and done in churches. Yet God's plan for spiritual growth is that every believer learns the truth of God's word from the shepherds that God has put in your life. And then speaks that truth in others and love around them. I recently heard a man talking about this and he said, You know, those who profess in Christ, who say, I really don't need the church. They are implicitly saying three things, whether they intend it or not. First, I don't need it. I don't need the worship of God with others. I don't need the teaching and preaching from my pastor. I don't need to take communion with others. I don't need to join together with a local body to support missions around the world. Yet we must recognize that's a lie. For God intended for his body to be built, his kingdom to grow, and him to be glorified through the church. Second, whether we intend it or not, when we say church is important, we're saying, I don't need you. I don't need other people in my walk with Christ. I can do this on my own. And yet we must recognize that's a lie that Satan wants us to believe. You know what a predatory animals do? Where do they find their next kill? It's not in the pack. It's in the straggling one, the weak one that wanders away from the herd and the animal comes in and devours. And Satan is a roaring lion, we're told seeking whom he may devour. We need one another to speak the truth and love to us. And lastly, whether intended or not, when you say, look, I'm done with church, I don't need that, you're saying, you don't need me. Well, I can speak personally. I need you. I need your prayers for holiness, to give wise counsel to people, to preach and teach God's word faithfully, clearly, and so that Christ is honored. You know, if it's not this church and we get visitors, wherever God has put you, they need you. The church is not an air conditioner. The church is an engine. God planned that your engaged presence with others in a local church would be a necessary part in them growing to Christ's likeness in you as well. So may we link arms and walk together so God may be glorified, And that this church may be built into what God desires it to be. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to see you honored. And yet, we sometimes just get so frustrated with people. It just seems easier to go through life on our own. And yet, we're reminded this morning of the plan you have for each church. And how you want to grow us through it. So Lord, maybe even this morning we have issues with others in this body. Would we be quick to forgive? Would we mend those that there'd be unity? Would we be growing as a church so that we might be a clear picture of your son to this world so that you might be honored and that people might come to know you? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.